If you would turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Matthew chapter 2. Again, I will say that I hope you haven't had enough of Christmas. Uh, I haven't. I'm just not quite ready to get back to Acts. We will next week, but I just I couldn't do it the day after Christmas. And I'm pretty confident you believe, or you're, you're right there with me. And what I wanted to do was look at an interesting story, a story only found in Matthew's gospel, a story that is always closely associated with the nativity, a story involving people that even have their own carol, We Three Kings. And I wanted to look at the story of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And now, there is not a lot that we know about them. Pretty much everything, well, I would guess most everything you know about the wise men comes from tradition. Uh, Their names, uh, Melchior, Casper, and Balthazar, I think all come from a tradition out of the 4th century. Um, the, The number of the wise men, we don't even know. We assume that there were three because there are three gifts given. We do know that. Uh, but we, we don't know the number to be certain. Could be two, could have been ten. We aren't certain. They're always depicted in dazzling clothing. Uh, it seems like that would stick out on a long journey through the desert. It might not be the best traveling gear. Uh, also would be uh, the fact that they're depicted as kings. And now, of course, the reason for that is a prophecy in Isaiah that uh, kings would bow down uh, to the Messiah. But there's so much uh, that we don't know about them. Really, all we know for certain is what we have in Matthew chapter 2, that they came from the east, most likely um, Iraq. What what is modern-day Iraq, modern-day Iran? Possibly they were Babylonian or Persian descent. And they came out of the east to Jerusalem searching for the king of the Jews. Now, if you're looking for the king of the Jews and you don't know where to go, uh, Jerusalem would be a good place to start. And they come searching for the king of the Jews who had recently been born. And they, of course, bring their gifts with them, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I, I believe it's safe to assume a few things about these individuals. Uh, our text calls them wise men. Other translation will call them magi. Uh, these would have been wealthy, uh, educated, influential people. Wealthy in the sense that they have significant travel expenses. Not only their animals, but their uh, the, their food, lodging along the way. This would have been an expensive journey. And, of course, the gifts they bring with them. And then they're educated. These are uh, people who would have been familiar with Eastern philosophy, astronomy. Uh, these would have been people that today we'd refer to as Renaissance men. Those who were searching for the meaning of life and they were aware of this God-shaped void within them. And so they were asking 
the most basic but most important questions. Who is God? What is the purpose of life? And somewhere along the way, they became convinced uh, that their hope and their object of worship would be the king of the Jews. And so they prepared for his coming. And we might think, how in the world did three magi from somewhere in the east become aware of the king of the Jews and know to look for him? And what, what would drive them to come on this trip? Well, one possible explanation is the Babylonian captivity. In Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C., Babylon comes in, sacks Jerusalem, hauls off a lot of people back to Babylon, and those people bring their scriptures with them. And uh, those scriptures were copied. Possibly these wise men came across these scriptures and studied them and were looking for the Messiah that was promised. Maybe it was the prophecy of Daniel that pointed to the appearing of the Messiah. Maybe it would be an obscure text like Numbers 24-17, Balaam's final prophecy, which speaks of a star coming out of Jacob and a scepter rising out of Israel. We aren't sure, but God Almighty opened their eyes to the promise of the Messiah, and so they came. The trigger would have been the star The night of Christ's birth, this star that was visible in the western sky. And I can't tell you because scripture does not tell us exactly what happens. Don't know if there was a conjunction between two planets. Maybe Saturn and Jupiter overlap. Uh, Maybe there was a supernatural light in the sky. We don't know. But there was a light in the sky that guided them. One that they followed. Even though they didn't know where it would take them or how long it would take, they followed the star. And this morning, I want to look at a few encouragements and warnings from this text. Let's pray. Father God, we ask for you to work. As we will see in this text, it is possible for us to have this text open in front of us hold it in our hands, and to read it and still be blind to it. So would you speak to us? Would you remind us that we are not those who have authority over this word? This word has authority over us. And would we come to it in submission as your word for your people? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came, uh, it, it, the star that they had seen uh, when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. We're going to look at some encouragements or exhortations and also some warnings this morning that we can find in this story. And we begin with an encouragement, and that is that we will find believers in unexpected places. And you could continue to say that our God works in unexpected places. You know, you would expect the Jews in Jerusalem to be watching the sky for the sign of the birth of their king. Bethlehem is 10 miles away from Jerusalem. You would expect that those in Jerusalem to be the first that would have noticed. But it turns out they were completely oblivious. These men come out of the east and surprise them. These men coming all the way from, who knows, Persia? They come, and we see in this text, they truly believe in the Messiah. They travel a great distance from a far-off place. They come from unexpected places. And now, whether that idea of the Scriptures going back in the Babylonian captivity and them discovering it. We, we, we don't know. And the truth is that there are some characters in Scripture that we just can't explain. You can put these wise men in the same category. You've got people like Melchizedek, who there's just not a whole lot we know about. People uh, like Job. You know, Job is one of the oldest figures in the Bible. His story, he predates Abraham. He predates Genesis 12. How in the world did Job come to know the one true God? People like Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. You've got these names that we almost know nothing about. We know their names, and the father does as well, and that's the point. He knows their names, and he has written their names in the book of life even though uh, they will pop up in unexpected places. They will be with that great number of saints on the final day hidden in Christ. 
So people come from unexpected places. Uh, the Lord knows their names and he knows the full number of them. I think I can't remember if it was last Sunday or two Sundays ago. I mentioned Elijah just being distraught and thinking that he's the only servant of the Lord in the land. And God comes to him and says, there are 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to worship false gods. You know, our reaction can be somewhat similar to be downcast and to think we're the only one. But in this text, we're reminded that the Lord is building his church out of unexpected people in unexpected places. I had the great encouragement on Christmas Eve and yesterday on Christmas Day to, to meet a student uh, at Mississippi University for Women. So my aunt is uh, the director of the Wesley Foundation at Mississippi University for Women, and she has a student uh, from Nigeria. And this student is a Christian from Nigeria who is uh, in Columbus, Mississippi, studying. She's in her second year, and uh, she's not going to be able to go home for, I think, until she graduates. And so my aunt invited her to come be with us Christmas Eve and to come over for a time on Christmas Day. And it was so encouraging just to ask her questions. Tell me about your home. Tell me about the church in Nigeria. You aren't going to be surprised. It's a Baptist church. They're all over Alcorn County, and they've made their way to Nigeria as well. But she's a Baptist from Nigeria. But it was so encouraging Hearing what the Lord is doing there. And we're reminded that our God is working all over this globe. And he is drawing men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself. His spirit brings conviction of sin and need of grace. And also the light of the gospel and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're reminded when we think of the church as a spiritual family. As other believers, as brothers and sisters. Just imagine... There are so few people in our family that we actually know. So few that we actually know. This young woman I met on Christmas Eve is my sister. I didn't know her name, didn't know she existed. That's a very encouraging thing to remember. Uh, The goodness that God has in store for his people, the wonderful surprises. God's children are all over the place, which makes sense because Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Now, what would cause the wise men to seek him? There's this saying, you see it all the time around Christmas. Some of you may have put it on Christmas cards. I don't, I don't, I don't want you to feel bad or I don't want to shame anyone. And this saying is, is true, but something about it just rubs me the wrong way. It's the saying, wise men still seek him. Now, there's truth there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. But it just comes across as, and this is, I don't know, maybe just my sinful heart. But it just comes off as puffed up. I'm going to puff out my chest. I'm one of the wise people that is still seeking him. The rest of you are just fools. I'd like to add clause. I don't know if clause or phrase. I want to add something to that. It's, it's wise men still 
seek him, but the only reason they do is because the Father revealed him to them. Wise men still seek him, but the only reason they do is because the Father revealed him to them. These wise men didn't just discover on their own the mysteries of the universe. By their own intelligence and skill and labor, they did not unlock the mystery of the universe and then decide to follow the star to the one who could answer every problem and need they have, the Lord Jesus. The Father revealed him to them. He opened their eyes to the knowledge of Christ. He put a star in the sky and said, follow this. Kind of in the same way that he tells Abraham to get up and leave and go to a place where I will show you. This is very similar. They're to get up and follow a star to wherever he will lead them. And they do. And we see uh, these wise men coming to Jerusalem from unexpected places. And the second thing we see is a series of warnings. And it involves those present in Jerusalem. Right? We, we read in this text that Herod is shocked by this. I, he's the king. He should have known. In, in the Old Testament, there was a command for the kings to, to write out uh, the books of Moses. You're supposed to know the scriptures, but he does not. And so he's shocked by this news and he gathers the chief priests and the scribes and asks them, where was the Christ to be born? And of course, they knew the answer. They could quote Micah 5 too. Yeah, I mean, learn, in Hebrew grade school, everyone learned where's the Messiah going to come from? He's going to come from Bethlehem. They knew that. Okay, well, why weren't they there? Why didn't they go? If you see something, even if it's false alarm, wouldn't you rather be sure? I mean, rather be safe than sorry, but they weren't worried about it. They had no interest in uh, the coming of the Messiah. It's wild. You have these foreigners from the East who knew what to look for and actually believed it. But the religious leaders... In Jerusalem, also knew what to look for and where to look, but apparently didn't believe it. You can look at Luke's gospel and see that the only people present at Christ's birth were who? The shepherds. They were the only one. There are no chief priests, there are no scribes, there are no Pharisees, there are no rabbis, just the shepherds. And then a period of time later, whether it's months or a couple years, we, we aren't quite certain. The wise men show up. And we're reminded here of a statement John makes in his prologue of his gospel that the Lord Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. It's a picture of human nature, isn't it? It's a picture of our nature. Not interested. Following the desires of our hearts. Not having eyes that have been opened to the truth of Christ. So there's a warning here. 
the first warning is to is against becoming numb to the things of God. You know that the longer you're around something, uh, the more exposed you are to it. Uh, you can become numb to it. And I believe that there is a risk and danger in becoming numb to the things of God. Numb to the means of grace, the, the word, the sacraments, and the prayers. Where we become so familiar with them, we, re- we reach a point where they, we treat them flippantly or lightly. So there's a warning here against becoming numb to the things of God. And listen, this is, this is not for the people out there. This is for us in here. This is for the people who show up to worship the day after Christmas. It's a warning for those who are always present in worship, those who are highly involved. It's a warning for those who are in leadership. It's a warning for pastors to not become numb to the things of God to where we treat it lightly or flippantly. Oh, that the Lord would keep familiarity from making us despise his word. Well, Herod hears the words from the wise men. He's disturbed. We rightly understand he sees uh, this as a threat to his kingship. And we see what he will do later on in Matthew. All of Jerusalem is disturbed with him. I thought this was interesting, and you kind of wonder why. Are they worried he's going to take this news badly and go on a violent rampage? Or are they worried that the coming of the Messiah is going to upset the apple cart and this is going to make Rome unhappy and their normal lives uh, that they're used to are going to change? All of Jerusalem is disturbed as well. And Herod wants to know, where is the Christ going to be born? And they give the correct answer. They quote Matthew 5. But again, they never go. We see not only have they become desensitized and numb to the things of God, their heads are full of information, but their hearts are stone. So it, it, is, it is a scary thing to recognize that you can possess the Word of God and you can hold it in your hands and you can read it and you can sit under its teaching or you could even be the one teaching it and yet remain blind. These men in Jerusalem were blind and they were the teachers. Now, we need knowledge We need to know the gospel and know the scriptures and be able to verbalize what we believe and why we believe it. But simply knowing the right answers, simply being able to recite the correct scriptures is not what changes a person. We need to experience grace. We need heart change. Have you experienced that? Or is this just some philosophy you figured out? Or some tradition that you practice. There's a warning there. Back to the wise men. We have an encouragement. An encouragement uh, through their example. As, As I mentioned earlier, just think for a moment what this would have cost them. 
their time away from home and family, the expenses of travel and lodging and their gifts, the, the dangers on the road that they would have risked. You know, I really think we are so spoiled by how safe it is for us to travel. This morning, I left Starkville before dawn, and uh, I was not worried about any bandits or carjackers uh, threatening me. I was worried about deer, and once I got on the road, I was worried about fog, but I was not worried about being robbed or murdered on the road. I think we take that for granted um, probably every day. And yet they took a journey that would have been very dangerous, especially if they would have been wearing, you know, the traditional robes that we all see them in with their big crowns. A thief would have been like, yes, easy target. They had a long road to travel. You know, if they were from the eastern border of Iran, that's 1,500 miles to Jerusalem across the less than hospitable terrain of Iraq. It would have taken them months. It would have cost them much, and still they pressed on. Last week we talked about your faith costing you something. In the early church, they had this creed that Jesus is Lord, and it wasn't just the bumper sticker saying that we view it as today. It was something that could have cost them their life. It could have cost them everything. And this journey would have cost the wise men something. And so the exhortation I have for you is to simply ask again two weeks in a row, what is being his disciple costing you? What is your faith costing you? Have you counted the cost to follow him? We see a wonderful example and then we also see incredible faith. You know, we haven't seen the Lord Jesus and still we believe. They were in the same boat. When they set out, they hadn't seen him and yet they believed that he had come. They didn't know where to find him and still they believed. They believed when the religious leaders in Jerusalem didn't. Right? Imagine, what if they reached Jerusalem and see that there's no party going on, there's no celebration for the newborn king, everybody's acting like nothing has happened, and what if they said, oh, well, we must have been wrong, and just turned around and went home? You know, I I think, uh, apply this, apply this to today. What, what, What happens if our faith is based, what we believe is based off of some religious leader? I mean, you, we've got so many famous examples of just kind of giants in the faith, contenders for the faith, and they fall. Bad news comes out about them. If your faith is tied to them, your faith is on very weak ground. The faith of these wise men is not based on what the religious leaders in Jerusalem thought. They believed even though the bigwigs in Jerusalem didn't. They even believed when they finally arrived. So that moment when they get there and they see the young child 
in the arms of his mother, they believed as well. We're told that they worshipped him. And they didn't find him in a palace or a temple, just a house. So some time has passed. They're no longer in the stable. They're in some house in Bethlehem. And they enter and they see this child and they fall down and worship. Now this past week, I have been around a lot of children. I have lots of nieces and nephews. My brothers and I, I guess, when God's providence, all began having children at the same time. So they're all the same age. And there were two there under the age of two. And I loved bouncing them on my knee and trying to make them laugh and kissing them on the head. But I never once had the urge to fall down and worship them. And yet the wise men do. It's amazing faith. that They they didn't see miracles. They didn't hear teaching. They didn't hear a voice from heaven. Just an infant. An, An infant who was completely helpless and vulnerable, needing the care of his mother. But they believed and fell down and worshiped. One one theologian I read made a connection to this faith and the faith of the penitent thief on the cross. The, The thief on the cross, all he saw was the man in the middle dying a criminal's death. He'd had everything taken from him, he'd been abandoned, and he was dying on a cross, and yet that thief spoke. To Jesus, called him Lord, believed in him and said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. It's an incredible illustration of faith. The wise men are in that same category. They see a helpless infant held in the arms of a poor teenager. And yet they fall down and worshiped him. They believed he was the Christ that they had found the one their hearts desired. And then they give the gifts. Uh, I I really appreciate the Carol We Three Kings, the description of the gifts that are given and their meaning that is given. I, I think that's incredibly helpful. The gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are kingly gifts. They're expensive gifts. And again, as I prayed earlier, he did not need them. They weren't buying his favor. But in giving them, they're demonstrating, hey, you are our treasure. And the one gift that I'll kind of hone in on is myrrh. Myrrh was a perfume used for embalming dead bodies. It's a perfume used uh, to cover the smell of Um, decomposing flesh. An expensive gift. A kingly gift. But a gift uh, that has connections to dying. And I think it teaches us here that this child has come to die. One of these gifts is for a burial. And the answer of our peace with God And our justification comes through his death. So, this Christmas, it's not over yet. At least not for a few more days. This Christmas, 
And this new year, here is my exhortation and question to you. Are you seeking him? Has he opened your eyes? Just as the wise men fell down and worshipped him, you must worship him as well. If you remember last week, Philippians 2, everyone will, one day everyone will bow the knee and confess that he is Lord. But will you worship him? Even though in your context, in the people you interact with, there, there are those who might display carelessness or unbelief, I would exhort you to continue on. Don't be ashamed to believe in uh, this Savior. The one the wise men saw as an infant and the one the penitent thief saw next to him on the cross. Don't be ashamed of your belief. I want to end with a hymn. O Christ, in thee my soul hath found. And I'm going to read one stanza and the chorus. Just, I think this is my prayer for 2022. I sighed for rest and happiness. I yearned for them, not thee. But while I passed my Savior by, his love laid hold on me. Now none but Christ can satisfy, no other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Would that be the prayer from our hearts for this coming year? That in the Lord Jesus, we would find love and life and lasting joy and that no other name would do it for us. Let's pray. Father God, may it be so. We ask that you would continue your work, your work building your church, taking men and women as living stones in the building of your church. Father, how encouraging it is to know that you are building your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, we uh, ask that we would learn from this text. We would learn from the warnings, that we would learn from the encouragements of these, uh, these faithful brothers that we would seek you and seek you all of our days. And Father, not become familiar to the point of numbness. We know that all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. And so every day would we continue uh, to lift our eyes to you, looking to our Savior, uh, the one these same wise men came and worshiped. Would we worship him? We ask this in his name. Amen.